Happy Mother's Day to our mothers. We are so thankful uh, for you all, and uh, y'all are just a blessing to us, and so uh, we are just so thankful that we have a day um, recognized or we can celebrate, uh, as we should be celebrating every day, right, um, the mothers in our lives. And uh, so today, um, we are coming out of Mark. We are continuing our search through the Gospel of Mark. So if you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to Mark, the first chapter. Um, Our focus today is going to be on verses 29 through 39, but we're going to pick up in verse 21 to help frame our verses for this morning. Now, if you're just joining us uh, for the first time, uh, as we said, we are are trudging through this Gospel, this Gospel of Mark, and now at our church, uh, we labor in the Word of God. We love to do that. We love to leave no stone unturned because what we do here on Sunday morning hopefully teaches you how to study the Bible on your own. And so uh, we, we want you to know how to approach the Scriptures. We want you to be moved by their authority, uh, which follows our theming for today is that specifically we want you to see today and be moved today and shaped today by the authority in the ministry of Jesus Christ. So let's kind of catch us up here a little bit. Um, Thus far, what we've seen in this gospel is that Jesus has been affirmed uh, to be the Messiah uh, at first by uh, John the Baptist, uh, one who many thought was the Messiah himself. Jesus gets baptized by John uh, upon which the heavens are torn open and God the Father affirms the authority of Jesus as His beloved Son, basically uh, saying, watch Him. Watch this man. Follow Him. Do what He does. You see, Jesus then goes out into the wilderness immediately after this in in nothing less than, than a cosmic battle between Satan, the ruler of this world. And if you ever have a chance uh, to study that passage closely, um, it's a scene it, it actually, in which Satan tries to recreate his efforts in the Garden of Eden to undermine God's authority. You see, but this time, Jesus overcomes every temptation as the second Adam, the better Adam, Every temptation that Satan tries to recreate. So Jesus, um, what He does is it's almost as if to, to, to say, no longer will my children fall prey to your false authority. So brothers and sisters, Jesus comes out of the wilderness and He asserts His authority through one simple sentence. He says, repent and believe the kingdom of God is at hand. But then, and one might almost kind of say uh, almost unceremoniously, he uses his authority to approach some men, some fishermen, Peter, James, John, and Andrew in their boats, and he tells them, follow me. See, after this, and, and Brandon highlighted this last week, um, he helped reveal to us um, just how astounded people were. Jesus had his first, one of his first, one of his, uh, first recorded teaching opportunities in a local synagogue. And um, this gospel, uh, Mark together and with Peter, have chosen to now focus the lens on what happens next un- under this man, this man whose, whose authority has caused them 
to leave everything and now observe that authority. So without further ado, we are in chapter 1, verse 21, and our text reads, And they went to Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey Him. And at once, His fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately, He left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever. And immediately, they told Him about her. And He came to her and He took her by the hand and lifted her up. And the fever left her and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising early, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon And those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. So needless to say, Jesus is on the move. Now, Mark uses a term repeatedly, uh, simply the word, immediately. Often, often to kind of highlight this fast-paced nature of Jesus' ministry. So Jesus leaves the synagogue and what? Goes immediately to Peter's house, most likely to partake in a Sabbath meal together, only to find Peter's mother-in-law, likely the, the preparer of that meal, ill with a fever. An important component, component excuse me, for us to focus on through this gospel is, is really not as much what Jesus did, but rather how he decided to do it. You see, Jesus knows he's being watched. His authority is on display. He relieves this woman of a fever, re- revealing for, for the first time his power over sickness. However, As we will see throughout the entirety of this text, Jesus, brothers and sisters, has a bigger plan for His ministry than healing sickness or exercising demons. You see, there appears to be something very formative about what Jesus is doing, very shaping in nature. See, Jesus is teaching through His authority over sickness and disease and spiritual forces. So if we track together today, if we think with insight, I believe at the end we're going to see this giant crescendo of what Jesus intended actually to do with His ministry. So we're going to have three truths this morning if you're taking notes with us. The first of which is Jesus has disciple-shaping authority over 
sickness. Now again, in verse 29, he says, And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. So, immediately, they left the synagogue. Jesus was just teaching. People were amazed at His new teaching with authority, as we talked about last week. Now, now think about what's going on here. Now, one of the main, the main sources of entertainment, believe it or not, back then was actually listening to others teach. People teaching publicly was a common thing. If you ever read that little book, the little red book by Greg Gilbert, it's entitled, uh, Who is Jesus? I would encourage you to. Um, but he calls attention in that book uh, to how unique Jesus was compared to any other teacher before him. Listen to what he says. Quote, he says, Religious teaching in those days, doesn't, or days wasn't what it is today. Yes, people listened in order to gain religious insight, to understand Scripture better, and to learn how to live more religiously. But, believe it or not, they also listened to religious teaching for sheer entertainment value. Strange as it sounds to us, it also helps us to understand how unusually good Jesus was as a teacher. Because the people of the first century, Israel, heard so many teachers, and so often they had opinions about them that were as finely tuned as ours might be today about movie actors. To put it mildly, they weren't easily impressed. One of my favorite, um, and I believe most profound conversion stories in all of the Bible, actually involves Nicodemus, who Jesus himself labels as the teacher of Israel. So this man, the teacher of Israel, can't even get Jesus out of his mind. So much so that the guy that many would believe is the go-to guy, if you had any questions at all, had heard Jesus teach and discovered there was so much he did not know. He had to go to him. He had to go to Jesus under the dark of night and possible threat of lifelong shame upon himself and his family because Nicodemus just had to go to this teacher. So needless to say, brothers and sisters, all eyes are upon this amazing teacher with authority. You see, this, is, this astonishing, astonishing teacher who also has authority over demons is on the move And where we are in our text now is, brothers and sisters, the air is electric. Because we now see for the first time that Jesus decides to display His authority and we see how He decides to display His authority for those watching. Now remember, this is a Sabbath day. People aren't exactly free to move around yet until about 6 p.m. or so. So Jesus goes to Simon Peter and Andrew's house with James and John to partake in a daily custom that we share today. You probably already have plans for this custom. Kind of run to the food after church, right? But not everything goes according to plan. Now, most likely... Simon's mother-in-law would have, been, uh, would have had this Sabbath meal hot and ready to go, but instead they find her ill with a fever. So what do they do? Well, let's tell the guy with authority. We're hungry. Maybe we can get some food on the table. But now pay close attention to exactly what happens. We have to think with insight here. Look at verse 31 again. And He, Jesus, came. And He took her by the hand and lifted her up. And the fever left her. And she began to serve them. And we might think, big deal. This seems like one of Jesus' lesser miracles. But think about this. 
Jesus could have healed her any way that He wanted. He could have yelled from the next room. He could have had some awe-inspiring beam of light just fill the room that she was in. But Jesus, the One with authority, takes this woman who is ill, takes her by the hand, and a fever leaves her. Why is this important? Friends, this is Jesus' first encounter we see with healing. We will see throughout this book the very personal approach Jesus takes with those around Him to, to point to the very personal approach He has taken with each one of us. Later in this Gospel, Jesus is actually going to heal a deaf and a mute man. Um, you probably remember the story. Uh, Jesus sticks His fingers in His ear, ears and touches His tongue with His fingers. So are we, are, if we're understanding this, was Jesus conjuring power? Did He have to do incantations in, in order to, to be able to heal this man? No. Jesus was speaking sign language to a deaf and a mute man. Friends, Jesus' authority is new because there's nothing like it. How many earthly leaders, how many earthly kings would choose to display their authority in such a way? Jesus, the God of the universe, at this moment was about Peter's mother-in-law. He has authority over sickness more broadly as, as the true King proclaiming His kingdom is at hand. Jesus is exercising His authority over anything, things that hurt His children. Brothers and sisters, no words of mine uh, today, this morning, can really, can really express the work that Jesus came to do. You have to read it. You have to be touched by it. Jesus, the God of the universe, takes our hand and lifts us to our feet. See, it's easy to look at Jesus' miracles and His healing power over sickness and see them as nothing more than inconsequential, neat tricks. But remember, Jesus knew all eyes were on Him. And I believe it's easy now to deduce because of that, Jesus was doing more. He knew His followers would be watching and He is shaping them as they onlook. Jesus was not only helping Peter's mother-in-law, He was helping them. Through His authority, Jesus was shaping His disciples. Much like He's shaping you, I, at this very moment. When, when, when was the last time we took someone by the hand? Maybe, maybe not in the, in the literal sense, right? But, but made so clear to them that your world at that moment is about them. You see, chances are, this was not the last fever Peter's mother-in-law would have ever experienced over the course of her life. But Jesus, with all the authority in the world, reached into her life at that moment and gave her the freedom to do what? To serve Him. Jesus wants His disciples and us to do more than just offer a helping hand. More than to bring re relief from sickness. He wants us to connect people with the hand of Jesus. The hand that without a doubt has the power to heal them of any sickness, but more importantly, the hand of authority to lift us from an eternal sickness, that of sin. 
as he was for his disciples and for us today, we, we need to understand desperately that we need to be connected and we need to connect others with the authority of Christ. You see, our authority, the world's authority, the authority that we may have walked in here with is not really authority at all. We need to repent, in fact, of our authority. We need to show people Jesus. See, if you've ever, ever looked in the eyes of a person, a person you're helping them just walk through sin, and you've had the privilege in certain moments to, to, to all at once see this shame, this guilt, this fear, just all of a sudden lift from their heart, and, and you realize in that very moment this has nothing to do with me. They're connecting with Christ. Jesus used His authority to shape the people watching. Or in this case, like as we are, reading about Him. Our lives should be about extending the Gospel hand of Christ to a hurting world to the only authority that can save them. You see, through this formative act of healing, Jesus was pointing to more. Jesus was shaping His disciples and us at this very minute for something more. You see, the very next scene, in fact, Jesus continues with His very same demeanor as the Sabbath comes to a close and now droves of sick and demon-oppressed people come out. Which brings us to our next truth. So again, not, not only... Because Jesus has disciple-shaping authority over sickness, but He has disciple-shaping authority over spiritual forces. Verse 32 says, That evening, at sundown, they brought to Him all who were sick and oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And He held many who were sick, or healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. So as we said again, the Sabbath had ended. They were free to move about. Having just seen Jesus in action earlier in the day and the abilities they had, simply a crowd forms. They brought, him, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. They wanted more of this man with authority. See, Brandon last week, he, he highlighted really a, a fair bit of this in his, in his sermon. Um, about Jesus' encounter with the demon-oppressed man in the synagogue. But friends, what's interesting here, what we can build on, is in this encounter, along with Peter's mother-in-law, because you know, it's easy to look at what Jesus did and miss entirely how He did it. You see, the language used here leads us to believe that this was a long, drawn-out time. And guess what? Jesus didn't get to everyone. He could have just extended a hand over the crowd. He could have set up some demon oppression force field and just said, walk through there. You may be already envisioning at this moment what Jesus actually did. He went to people one by one. 
He personally, knowing all eyes were on Him, particularly those of His disciples and us today, with every bit as much of authority. Jesus was revealing the sick and the demon-oppressed. He was authoritatively shaping those that were following Him, not so that they could copy what He was doing. It was as if Jesus, Jesus was saying in the same personal matter, your Lord has come to reach into people's lives, Touch them with me. Touch them with my authority. I want you to do the same. I want you to connect people with me. You see, when Jesus makes disciples, and he says, excuse me, when he says make disciples, he, he doesn't mean for me uh, uh, to say some interesting stuff. He, he doesn't mean for Brandon or Stephen or Drew or Paul uh, or uh, Apollos uh, for, the, for them to create followers for themselves. No, Jesus says make disciples, pupils, learners, followers of me, King Jesus. Jesus, friends, heals very intentionally in meaningful and personal ways. Now, what's probably the most profound thing of this text is that Jesus leaves this scene. Again, He didn't heal everyone. If you put yourself in the first century Capernaum, maybe you're one of those people that Jesus personally intervened in your life. And you're healed of some sickness or some demon oppression or some form of suffering. But we see Jesus move on. Maybe you're one of those that remained unhealed. Did Jesus not care? Did He not love you as much? But as our last truth today reveals, Jesus had a plan, friends. A plan that day that extended far beyond staying in Capernaum and healing and casting out demons. Our last truth for today is that Jesus shapes us into disciples through the ministry of His words. Verse 35, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, He departed and went out to a desolate place, and there He prayed. And Simon and those who were with Him searched for Him. And they found Him and said to Him, Everyone is looking for you. And He said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. And He went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. You see, friends, after what was likely a long evening, Jesus rises. He rises early in the morning before all are awake and He goes out by Himself. Now this is just a side point because I want to highlight this. Jesus prayed. Jesus, God Himself, needed to be by Himself to pray. Having a previous night of great success, many of us would have probably just slept in. Prayer, the ultimate expression of dependence. Jesus needed to get up, probably without the amount of sleep that He needed, needed dependence on His Father more than He needed sleep. What did Jesus pray for? I don't really know exactly. 
But we do know how Jesus responded. Simon, a fisherman also accustomed to getting up early, starts searching for Jesus. Himself and a group find Him. Probably because they, they, there was already a line forming for Jesus. But here's what's interesting. Jesus could have just set up shop. People were already coming out in droves. He could have just established a very successful demon oppression and healing ministry right there in Capernaum. Peter himself even tells Jesus, everyone is looking for you. Uh, almost saying, um, hey guy, uh, your authority has them already flocking this way. What Jesus says next probably just threw Peter for a loop. But what Jesus says next also, I believe, sets the tone for Jesus' ministry and by extension sets the tone for the rest of His disciples. Verse 38, He says, let us go out, go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. Brothers and sisters, I believe it's important to kind of just take a minute and call attention to something important. A point that we're going to be confronted with throughout this entire Gospel. I had graciously had the opportunity of walking through this Gospel with our previous church. And, and I believe one of the reasons that God walked us through that Gospel, uh, through this Gospel, was to expose uh, the true nature of Jesus. The true nature of His ministry. Who He was. And answer the ultimate question of, are we? like Peter, James, and John, following the right Jesus? Are we following Jesus because of His authority? Or are we following Him because of what we believe His authority can give us? Jesus Himself later would confront the crowds. Um, having followed Him after, if you remember the scene when He, when he fed the 5,000 with loaves and fish, He said, you only follow Me because you want your fill of loaves. Yeah. Friends, we have to be so careful Amen. to examine why it is that we follow Jesus. Many came fully interested in Jesus, fully on board with following Him. But when they saw that, that Jesus, following Jesus required them to die to their desires and follow Jesus' authority alone, many walked away sad. The immediate contrast to this is how many people were at the foot of the cross. Is it wrong to want to be relieved from suffering? From demon oppression? Is it wrong to want to be healed of sickness? No! Jesus should be the first place that we turn for such desires. But what if He doesn't give it to you? My father, one of the most godly men that I will ever know, died of prostate cancer at 62 years old. My mother has been battling the burden of an incurable pain illness since I was 12. Contextually, Jesus wants to go on into the next towns, meaning that there were people's mothers, fathers, their children that didn't get healed. Did Jesus not love them? Did He not care? You see, these encounters in Mark reveal to us for the first time that Jesus has the authority to 
snap his fingers and for sickness and disease and demon oppression to be gone. But is, is that what following Jesus is about? Paul would say in Colossians 1, verse 15 through 20, he says, He is the, in, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. And listen closely, that in everything He might be preeminent. You see, friends, the synonymous nature of the two statements that we've been studying, um, repent and believe the kingdom of God is at hand, and follow me and I will make you fishers of men, mean that following Jesus is about Jesus. Paul, Paul continues and he says, for in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. You see, maybe you're here today and you're waiting for God to relieve your suffering, to heal you, to, to, to relieve the forces of evil in your life. But may we be reminded every one of these people that Jesus healed for the rest of their lives had to battle sickness, had to battle suffering, had to battle spiritual forces. I mean, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead for crying out loud, and guess what? Lazarus died again. Jesus is using His authority for something much bigger He's using His authority to bring us to Himself. Death will claim every single person in this room unless Jesus comes first. But understand, Jesus came to wipe away death forever. Because Jesus is coming to heal us from the greatest sickness, the greatest oppression, far greater than any pandemic can render. He came to heal us from sin, shame, guilt, fear, forever. He came to give us Himself. Friends, eternal life is not the gift. Eternal life is just the means by which we enjoy the gift. Jesus and eternity under His authority will be utterly glorious, utterly perfect. Jesus, friends, is the gift. And Jesus had to move on immediately to tell others about Himself. So just keep tracking with me here. If, if, if we know that Jesus can do these things in an instant as we've seen, and His will is to give people Himself you see, it's what texts like this should help us if we're desiring to find relief from sin, from sin, oppression, from sickness. Our first question should be, why? Lord, why am I going through this? Why is my loved one passed away too early? Jesus, You have the power to do this. What more are You doing? Brandon, through our text last week, made a very important observation. He said Jesus is about His Word ministry. His words. 
are authoritative. As one who's not just speaking words of truth, but as one who invented the truth. And His words are life-giving truth. Friends, Jesus had a far bigger plan than a physical healing or casting out demon ministry. His plan was to move quickly and to preach the Word. How many tents do you think have been set up throughout America over the last couple of hundred years with an earnest desire for healing and for people desiring for themselves and others to be healed, but those people at times also walk away from those same tents or churches never truly hearing the life-giving words of Jesus. Never truly hearing how they can be eternally healed. Never truly hearing how Jesus came to be their substitute. To save them from the greatest obstacle awaiting to befall all of them. The very wrath of God. God spoke our world into existence. We disobeyed His words. And are forever separated from Him. But it was through some mysterious miracle, also through His words, that He made promises to reconcile us to Himself through the Word. His Word would now come in the form of Jesus. John chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus came simultaneously to speak the authoritative words of God and also be the authoritative words of God. When we share the Gospel, we say follow Jesus. When Jesus shares the Gospel, He says follow Me. Jesus, knowing all eyes were upon Him, could have just stayed and the people would have probably never stopped coming. But Jesus was defining His ministry as a ministry of words. A ministry, as Paul says in Romans 10.17, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. See, Jesus knew and wanted His disciples to know that God has chosen to make disciples through the hearing of His Word. That makes preaching, that makes teaching the Word of God for Jesus and for His disciples and for us in our church the the very apex of Christian ministry here on earth. Men, men would sing hymns as they were burned at the stake for translating your Bible from Latin. Because they knew that people needed to be connected with the words of God. We labor for years through books of the Bible here at our church because God's Word is that important. We preach the Word because we want people to be connected with the true Jesus of the Bible, not because of what the authority of Christ can give them. We preach the words of Jesus because simply because they themselves are, His words are the life-giving, disciple-shaping authority, the truth, the end-all, be-all of human existence. God is reconciling us to Himself through His words. The words of His Son and the infiltration of those words by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus would say something very connected to what we're talking about here today in the Great Commission. Matthew 28, verse 18 says, All authority 
in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I will be with you always to the end of the age. Friends, the Great Commission is about Jesus' word ministry. Jesus came to use His authority to set us up, to point us, other, to, point us to others, and, point, and allow us excuse me, to point others to the ministry of His word. You see, these ten verses just showed us that Jesus came to use His authority in very meaningful, very intentional ways. These ten verses show us what Jesus used His authority to do. To create a word ministry that continues through us, that makes disciples, just as He said in the Great Commission, by revealing the Word to people. By baptizing for the purpose of showing the Word to people and helping others grow by teaching them the Word. Jesus' authority shaped Peter and James and John and the rest of His followers to go immediately and make disciples of Jesus. The most important mission that we have at St. Rose Community Church is to connect people in very personal hand-taking ways with the words of Jesus found throughout all of the Bible. We are to live our lives to connect people with Jesus' authority, to connect people with His words that He might bring them to faith. Be a part of churches like ours that I believe unashamedly preach the Word of God and give no credence to those with itching years and who manipulate Jesus' authority into something it was never intended to be. We live for the authority of Christ alone. And if you're taking notes with us today, we like you to have something to walk away with to apply. We call them takeaways. The first of which is that trust Jesus' words as you look to Him for every spiritual and physical need. So, know that your life is about Jesus connecting you with His words. Know that that's, that's, the, that's the most important thing for Him in your life. Maybe you're seeking spiritual healing, relief from suffering, physical healing. Maybe He gives it to you. Maybe He doesn't. But trust that He's given you Himself. He is the gift. And He's given it to you through faith alone. Faith that you repented of your sin, of your authority, and trusted in Christ's authority alone. I I trust that 10 trillion years from now, I'm sure none of us are going to look back at our time here on earth and wish that we were more comfortable here. I trust that every day in glory will be about basking in the authority of Christ. But use the struggles the suffering that you have, they're not accidents. Use them to point people to the words of Christ. Our second takeaway is that know that Jesus uses His authority to shape you to make disciples. Jesus is ever shaping you. Pay attention to the Bible as more than stories. 
Jesus' intentions, as we saw today, are always to be formative and disciple-shaping. Live in His Word ministry to be conformed to the image of His Son. Our last takeaway for today, teach others the authoritative words of Jesus. You see, the Gospel of Mark is actually a, a, a neat Gospel because it's, a, it's one that, that, that we can easily walk people that were just connecting with Jesus for the first time. Brothers and sisters, take this time. Take notes, as I see many of you doing. I'm so thankful for that. But use this time. And, 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 and maybe the next time you get to go with somebody, meet with somebody that, that is yet to know Christ, meet with them once a week, right? You have the notes. Walk them through the Gospel of Mark. If you're here with us this morning and you're not a Christian, truthfully, we want you nowhere other than front and center right in front of God's Word. You see, being a Christian is about repenting of our sinful authority. I hope some of our our songs got through to some of you today that that helps us understand that we are the unfaithful ones. We have to place our faith in the faithful one. His authority, Jesus Christ. That means that we believe what He said. We believe what He came to do to die on the cross for our sins. The Word became flesh to sacrifice Himself for you. We are shaped by what goes on here. So that we, as a church, can do the Word ministry out in the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You, Father, for Your words. Father, we thank You that there is nothing like them. That they are sharper than any two-edged sword. That they pierce to the divisions of the soul and the spirit of the joints and the marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart, Father. We thank You that Jesus came as the Word. I pray that we go on from here with a higher esteem for the words of Christ. An insatiable desire to get people in front of the words of God. That we trust that their lives will be changed forever. As we now worship and pray together through song, I pray that we are remembered, we are reminded of how meaningful your words are. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.